I tried to sleep in and then I woke up to a door slamming and then a loud bang and then more door slamming. <laughs> that's my kids. Yeah, that's my kids. My, <laughs> <laughs> my not my kids. <laughs> Yeah, my kids wake me up by running into my room, running onto my bed, and then running out, and then screaming and yelling, and I had to yell at them a couple times today because they were in the backyard, like, they sounded like they were being murdered, (laughs) but I was like, what are you doing? It would be a little weird if my sister and her husband came running into our room and then running out and all that. (laughs) (laughs) I would be like, oh, (laughs) Are you okay? Mm-hmm. Did you have too much coffee this morning? That would be awkward. I mean, our door's open anyway because of the cat, but it'd still be weird. This is legend. I'm Sam. I'm Amy. <laughs> I forgot who I was for a second. <laughs> nice to meet you, Amy. <laughs> Good to know you. Today we are going to talk about the Kushtaka and the Alaskan Triangle. Any guesses? Um, I think the Kushtaka sounds like a furry animal or big furry animal and I take it the Alaskan triangle is something like the Bermuda triangle and maybe they hang out together that's literally (laughs) what I wrote cool I'm psychic okay are you ready to get into it I think so I think I'm ready to hear what this kushtaka is you're prepared it has a fun name it is and it's really really crazy So, literally what I wrote was, everyone has heard about the Bermuda Triangle, but (laughs) did you know Alaska has its own mysterious triangle? (laughs) Literally first sentence. All right. So, since 1988, more than 16,000 people have vanished in the Alaskan Triangle. There are actually several TV shows about it. Um, I watched one of them, but I can't remember their names. (laughs) um but i know i think one of them is called missing in alaska that sounds like i've heard of it before Uh, i think that's the one i watched but don't quote me i don't remember (laughs) (laughs) okay so the border of the alaskan triangle stretches from utkathavik (laughs) which i had to look up how to pronounce these so I'm sorry if they're not right, but um, Google pronunciation says Utkathavik. Uh, in October 2016, the population of the town formerly known as Barrows voted to restore the town's indigenous, indigenous name of Utkathavik. The traditional Inopiak name translates <laughs> to another google pronunciation um it translates to a place to gather wild roots so that's kind of a side note but just a little bit of cool history so like i was saying it stretches from utkathavik on the state's (laughs) north coast you're so much better at pronouncing these things than i would be i just go (laughs) (laughs) um so stretches from Kathavik on the state's north coast to Anchorage and then to Juneau across the southern coast. Within this triangle, there are vast areas of largely unexplored wilderness, such as boreal forests, mountain peaks, and desolate tundras. Ooh. Ooh, dun dun. I want to go to Alaska so bad. I do too. It seriously looks beautiful, but I'm yeah. also afraid of it. <laughs> there's lots of things i feel like that will kill you what was that 
movie slash book well it was a book first and then it was a movie like into the wild or something he like is in a bus and spoiler alert he dies i have no idea (laughs) well it's really good (laughs) sounds sad it's always on uh netflix and i watched it and i was like this is so cool is it a children's movie oh no 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 okay because for some reason when you said into the wild i'm sure this is really wrong but it reminds me of that one children's movie where she teaches geese how to fly oh bro i totally forgot about that movie i I don't know it in theaters (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what that's called but i remember that as a kid well i'm looking it up just to make sure i'm not lying into the wild i was right now look up the goose movie says he was a graduate graduate (laughs) graduate (laughs) and a top student and an athlete and then he just fucking got rid of all of his shit and went to the alaskan wilderness to live on died i mean yeah he dies at the end was he old no he's a kid that's that oh he's a kid well he's in his 20s he's a kid to me (laughs) oh my goodness horrifying (laughs) uh okay i'll look up the goose movie um movie about a girl (laughs) that raises geese fly away home yes i feel like (laughs) if anyone was listening to us they were probably screaming it (laughs) (laughs) if they're as old as we are (laughs) so anyway um so the kushtaka and the alaskan triangle it's kind of like a hodgepodge like of different things what i'm going to talk about anyway is like a hodgepodge of different things because there's a lot of stuff so (laughs) there's a lot of disappearances and you know then there's uh, the kushtaka and then there's also some other stuff i'll talk about like towards the end of it but Right now, I'm going to talk about the most notorious disappearance involving the Alaskan Triangle. Probably the most notorious. Um, chill. <laughs> Sorry, guys. My cat's going bananas in the background. <laughs> um, that's why her name is Merida. <laughs> uh, so anyways, um, in October's or on October 16th, 1972, uh, House Majority Leader Hale Boggs, um, during a campaign trip to Alaska, was aboard a twin-engine Cessna 310 airplane, and it disappeared during bad weather while en route between Anchorage and Juneau. Also on board were Representative Nick Bagich. Russell Brown, who was an aide for Nick Bagich, and the pilot, Don Johns. That makes me think of Don Juan. I I was literally just about to say that. (laughs) Their disappearance triggered the largest search and rescue operation up to that point in U.S. history. It involved 40 military aircraft, 50 civilian planes, a search grid of 325,000 square miles, and more than 3,600 hours of search time. Dang. That was um, a lot of resources. And how did all the planes fit in the sky? I don't know. Maybe it was 10 at a time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, after 39 days, the search was called off with no sign of the wreckage or the survivors. And that's just one mysterious incident out of many. Like I said, it's reported that 16,000 people have disappeared in the Alaskan Triangle since 1988, which is, I mean, it's kind of far away now, but it doesn't feel that far away. <laughs> and <laughs> that's a rate that is twice the national average. So what's happening to them? They're getting dun, eaten. Dun. Well, it probably has to do with extreme terrain and weather. But that is a huge ass number. 
and natives to Alaska, they have a theory called the Kushtaka. Yeah. All right, give it to me. <laughs> okay. So the Kushtaka are shape-shifting creatures found in Tlingit folklore. Science would call them legends. <laughs> but to the Tlingit people, they're very real. Kushtaka literally translates into land otter man. So they're very similar to Bigfoot. I watched an interesting video posted by Bob Gimlin where he talks about why the Tlingit would have called such a similar creature to Bigfoot an otter or an otter man. He was saying that because otters have opposable thumbs like humans, reduced ears like humans, that it makes sense that they would merge the only other creature they know with opposable thumbs to humans. Since Alaska Um, doesn't really have primates. I'm really picturing a giant otter being all cute with his little tail and his little hands nope. up by his mouth. Just nope. So cute and cuddly, just eight feet tall. <laughs> yep, eight feet tall. It is eight feet tall, <laughs> but it ain't cute and cuddly. I promise you. At least not the sketches that I've seen. So basically, they started anthropomorphizing the animal. Hell yeah, pat on the back for saying that the first go around. (laughs) (laughs) That's a hard ass word, okay? Um, And by that, I mean they're ascribing it, you know, to a human intellect with human values, goals, and reasoning abilities. You know what it reminds me of? What? So I remember very clearly, I was probably actually paying attention that day in school when in English they were talking about, you know, the big word you just said. And it always makes me think of anamorphs. I, okay, it <laughs> makes me think of that too. And funny, I've never even seen that show, but my husband was obsessed with it and he's talked about it a lot as, from when we get onto things that we used to watch as kids, anamorphs. I, I think, watched it, but I've read the books. Yeah, also. that's what I was just going to say is that I don't think he actually watched, I don't know if he watched it, but I know he read the books. Mm-hmm. They were good. They were fun. I mean, I would want to turn into an animal if I could. For as much as I read, never read one of those. I should probably (laughs) look into that. I bet my son would like it. They might not hold up now as an adult, but they were really good as kids. So maybe Jamie would like them. Actually, I know Jamie would like them. They're people turning into animals. I mean, what better thing? Yep. And he's obsessed (laughs) with animals. So Exactly. I was thinking... Um, or not I was thinking I was talking to my friend actually on Facebook the other day and we were talking about goosebumps (laughs) I don't this is kind of off subject but she was saying that she wasn't allowed to read goosebumps as a kid oh shit yeah so I was telling her she should go read one but I was reading them with Jamie you know recently and they're not scary anymore because I'm an adult and they're like fucking hilarious <laughs> now and yeah, so I was telling are. her I was like it probably like isn't gonna feel the same to you because as a kid they were terrifying mm-hmm. but as an adult you're like oh my Jesus that's <laughs> like movies that we really liked as a kid like Hocus mm-hmm. Pocus I have a friend now that just saw it after like 25 years of life she just saw the movie and she was like it was okay. I don't understand the hype. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> That's People, my movie. If you're listening, do not deprive your children of the classics. Exactly. Do not. <laughs> it's sad. All right. So back on track. Back. Yeah. Literally, I was about to say the same <laughs> thing. Back to the story. Um, so supposedly. Uh, the Kushtaka are masters of waging psychological warfare. They are telepathic. They can transport from one place to another. They have the ability to transform into a person familiar to their victims, such as a family member or an otter. They'll turn into relatives of a victim to lure them away from their homes so that they can turn them into Kushtaka. So they the- are animorphs. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Makes sense? Yeah. 
You were right. Mm-hmm. So the Tlinga also fear normal otters because like I just said, they also transform into regular otters. Uh, they believe that the otters will turn them into kushtaka. So they're known to be malevolent tricksters. If someone sees one and they laugh at them or they don't take them seriously, the kushtaka will deprive them of everlasting life, which means they will not allow their victim's soul to be reincarnated. I would be fucked. Why are you going to laugh at some giant clawed eight foot hairy otter man? If I saw what I see in my head every time you say otter man, (laughs) (laughs) I would be laughing hysterically and then I'd be fucked. (laughs) You need to see the sketch I saw in the TV show I watched. It's not cute or funny. (laughs) It looks like a jaguar man. Oh my god, that reminds me of Tekken. Did you ever play Tekken with Lindsay and I? If I did, I really don't remember. <laughs> well, there's a guy named King, and he's like a man from the neck down, and he's like all muscular and whatever, but his head is a, I think it's a leopard or a black panther. Okay, that's exactly <laughs> what it looks like. It's, it's like a black <laughs> panther man with webbed hands and claws okay he doesn't have the webbed hands and i don't think he has claws but he just has human hands yeah he's a human from the neck down it's like i don't know he has like a story but i don't remember what it was i feel like he should at least have claws (laughs) no (laughs) but he wears a tank top (laughs) hot (laughs) (laughs) when the tlingit are at sea the kushtaka create disastrous events and so if someone begins to drown they'll prey on them basically they want you to fall overboard and drown that's what they want that's why they do it that's just mean you want to hear a fun fact Mm -hmm. a fun disgusting fact it said that you can ward them off by copper by urine (laughs) and sometimes fire Mm. only sometimes well i guess since i don't carry a lot of copper i would have to pee myself (laughs) that's an easy thing for me as as a mother i think it's just being in our 30s (laughs) (laughs) while you're laughing yeah (laughs) be a little bit Mm -hmm they'll run away watch out for those sneezes what if then you're you allergic your... to it ah there then you, you go. got a great defense yes <laughs> uh so there has never been any evidence of a kushtaka there has never been any photos any videos no taxidermy or anything like that um it's because of the belief that they're able to disguise their appearance so if they think you're going to whip out your camera, they're like, oh, just kidding. I'm a little baby artist. I'm an <laughs> with a German accent. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're in Alaska. <laughs> I'm a little baby artist. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, ooh, so I listened to an audiobook called in search of the Kushtaka, Alaska's other Bigfoot, the Land Otter Man of the Tlingit Indians. Sounds like you just read the book for us. Yes, that's all <laughs> you need to know. <laughs> it's written by Dennis Waller. It's only four hours long, but it went to, or it went into like a really extensive history of the beliefs of the Tlingit people and other legends around the world that kind of correspond with the Kushtaka. It talks about Um, the conspiracy theories as to why we have no evidence of the Kushaka and other so-called legends in Native American culture. So there are actually like a lot of like legends around the world that kind of are the same thing. They're not otters 
I mean, they're like different animals and stuff, but they have the same abilities, you know, just the same everything. They're just, they're not otters. They're different. I think it's more, you know, like relevant to where they're living. Like the monkey thing. Yes. Why do we have Bigfoot? Because we don't have any primates, right, in in North America? You know? Wouldn't it be like Raccoon Man? (laughs) They have thumbs, right? Oh, yeah, they do. Mm, They have, like, the cutest little animal human hands I've ever seen. According to the book, and this is a very condensed summary on my part, because he really went into some detail, uh, shamans of the Tlingit people came about because of ravens now let me explain ravens really quick in the book i listened to ravens were said to have found the first humans hiding in a clamshell and so the ravens brought them food so it seems like this was kind of their version of the creation of humans but i also read this same exact thing on wikipedia and this says that this is what the Haida people believe. I don't know if we have any Native American listeners or if we have listeners at all, but <laughs> if you are and you know, let me know because I don't know, you know, I'm not Native American. I don't know the culture, but I'd like to know. Definitely don't know the separate tribes or how they interact or if their beliefs mix over or- Mm -mm. I don't know any of that so I'm just literally saying what I read okay (laughs) so then back to the ravens uh the book states that ravens basically created shamans they said that if a person was uh to be taken by the kushtaka and their friends saved them they would become shamans one tradition of a shaman is that they would go into the woods for eight days and they would fast And they said that they would do this about eight times over their life. They would chew on devil's club, which is a plant related to American ginseng. And it apparently wards off evil. They use this ceremonially or medicinally. uh, And medicinally, it's known as Tlingit aspirin. Hmm. I wonder if it is just like a painkiller or like... Does it give hallucinations or anything fun? (laughs) So in the book, and I didn't write this down in my notes, so I might get this wrong. But you've heard of mescaline, right? Barely. I know it's a bad thing, but I don't know what it does. It is peyote. Mescaline's just, I don't know if that's like the drug name or, (laughs) but it's peyote. And they were talking about in the book how shamans well, people in the tribe in general, not just the shamans, but they would, you know, do peyote or whatever. And they said that, because I was thinking this in my head when he was saying that they were doing peyote. So I'm like, okay, is this hallucinations then? (laughs) But I guess what the Tlingit believe that it puts you at a higher level of consciousness. So Mm -hmm. you're not hallucinating. You are seeing like things that you just can't see, that you can't comprehend when you're not doing peyote yeah so maybe the kushtaka are on that plane like I've heard of lots of people finding themselves or their life purpose or just what they've been searching for on peyote yep and i've so, heard of a lot just seeing a lot of weird shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah like shrooms yeah birds and animals would approach the shaman and enter the shaman's spirit which would give the shaman a more powerful spirit. If a land otter, which I think is the same as the Kushtaka, just based on stories that I'm going to read a little bit later on, and also because there's no such thing as a land otter, I googled it and I could only find river otters. So, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're the Kushtaka. So, if a land otter would approach the shaman, it would stand completely still. The shaman would begin to chant and that would instantly kill the land otter. It would fall to the ground with its tongue hanging out. And if the shaman was lucky, the tongue would contain 
all the secrets of shamanism. This just sounds horrible. I just don't know why the otter would want to stand still for the kushtaka. Like, I feel like after a while, (laughs) they would catch on and they'd be like, nah, bro, bye. Maybe it puts them in a trance. It could. I could see that. They are like hypnotized or paralyzed or something and can't move. They're like, fuck. Damn it. But that's just weird that they, I don't know. The tongue thing, it just bothers me. (laughs) Well, the tongue's very important. I'm about to get into that. The shaman would then cut off the left side of the tongue, not the right, just the left, wrap it in a bundle of twigs, which created a powerful amulet called a scutch. It contains the spirit of the shaman and the land daughter. The scutch is kept hidden and safe because... It is believed that if anyone found it or anything happened to it, the shaman would go mad and or die. Mm, that is some power. But I'm like still grossed out about the tongue. I just think I wouldn't want it if someone <laughs> could hurt me that easily by finding it. True. Like you would really have to hide it. At least they don't like wear it or anything. No. I could get pretty rank really fast nasty yes but i also think that because shamans are healers and stuff like they're kind of badasses because they take that responsibility sometimes a deceased shaman could enter the living shaman or an animal also giving the shaman a more powerful spirit tongues were super important to the tlingit because to them breath is considered the primary primary requisite for life the land otter tongue is believed to hold the most power for healing breathing issues it's also considered the most powerful medicine a shaman can possess so like i was saying they're healers so if it is the most powerful thing to heal somebody they're pretty badass for taking that upon themselves i want to know how they used it to heal people so like did they like crush it up and like make them eat it or did they turn it into like a paste and rub it all over them because all of that sounds awful because i did not (laughs) i just trusted maybe it's just my weirdness that wants to know but no it it sounds they also might keep it a secret i don't know i didn't Uh, i did not look it up (laughs) what if they like made soup or something with it I mean, some people here in America eat cow's tongue and things like that, which just seeing a cow's tongue in the grocery store makes me want to (laughs) get it's Uh, thick. Do you remember on the fear factor when they would make people eat tongues? I'm like, how do you even bite into that? It'd be like the same texture as your tongue. My dad loves cow tongue sandwiches. Oh, never going to be able to look at him the same. (laughs) but on fear factor they also made you eat rocky mountain oysters which that watching them eat that (laughs) made me want to (laughs) puke i'd never be able to survive they ate a lot of bad stuff i could do fear factor i could probably not eat the stuff that they ate though that's the thing is like i could do the other parts i'm sure but the eating things i have a very sensitive gag reflex like super sensitive it ain't happening Mm -mm. okay accounts of their behavior seem to conflict with one another in some stories kushtaka are cruel creatures who take delight in tricking poor tlingit sailors to their deaths in others they are friendly and helpful, frequently saving the lost from death by freezing. So <laughs> that's stupid sentence. <laughs> <laughs> by they freezing. Are, They're freezing. By freezing. Them. <laughs> they save them from freezing to death, is what I meant. Um, I just write shit backwards sometimes for some reason. But yeah, so I mean it's not great because by to do that, they turn you into a kushtaka. Which, but I mean, you have two options die or become a kushtaka. So I think I'm, they're being nice. I haven't found too many bad things about being a kushtaka, though. 
I mean, you get to um, turn into an otter. Other than the freezing in mid-spot and dropping dead. <laughs> yeah, but then you just, like, try really hard to avoid shamans. That's true. <laughs> just stay swimming. Yeah, I would just stay in my little baby otter form all the time. <laughs> just float around on my back. It'd be fun. Uh, <laughs> in many stories... The Kushtaka save lost individuals by distracting them with curiously otter-like illusions. That is definitely a copy and paste because curiously otter-like illusions, I don't know, of their family and <laughs> friends as they transformed their subjects into a fellow Kushtaka. And this, like I was saying, allows them to survive in the cold. So you either freeze to death or you become a Kushtaka. Naturally, this is counted as a mixed blessing. However, <laughs> Kushtaka legends are not always pleasant. In some legends, it is said that the Kushtaka will imitate the cries of a baby or the screams of a woman to lure victims to the river. Once they're there, the Kushtaka either kills the person and tears them to shreds or they'll turn them into a Kushtaka. All right, so maybe I wouldn't enjoy like tearing people to shreds. But, you know, I wouldn't have I mean, to if I stayed in my little baby otter form. That's true. Just stay away from all that tearing people to ribbons yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I read a story from the Smithsonian Institution Bureau of American Ethnology from their Tlingit myths and texts that was collected in Sitka and Wrangell in 1904 and was published in 1908. Um. So I don't remember the exact definition of ethnology, but I think it was like the study of people and their culture. Something like that. Study of peoples. I think they had an S on there. Mm. It was worded very weird. Yes. Yeah. See, if you didn't know, we Googled this already because I had no fucking idea what it meant. (laughs) And I already forgot. I'm paraphrasing the story um and it goes on or it starts that there was a great famine in Sitka and all the people went fishing for halibut there was a husband and a wife who went to the mouth of Red Doubt Bay and essentially camped out there they fished there for a long time and they had no success they were basically now just living off shellfish and anything they could scrounge during low tides one evening They managed to catch a small halibut and they brought it to their camp and cooked it. What they didn't eat, they hung up to dry. The next day they heard a noise outside, like things were being thrown around. The husband went outside to see what the commotion was and saw two devil fish lying on the ground. What are those? Okay, I was just about to ask you. (laughs) Do you know what a devil fish is? I know what an angel fish is. (laughs) A devil fish to the Tlingit people are octopus. And they're used for bait. They're adorable. They're not devils. No, they're super smarties. And they change colors. Well, some of them do. I know. They're beautiful. Some are deadly. But most of them are beautiful and smart. And they fart ink. (laughs) (laughs) Get the fuck away from me. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So, yeah. They used octopus as bait. They wondered how they had gotten there, and the wife said that she thinks it was their son who had drowned the year before and that no one had ever seen again. She thought that their son had taken pity on them because he saw how poor they were living and he was trying to help them. She said that she would call for him tomorrow, and if they heard whistling tomorrow or any other night, she would know for sure it was her son. Kushtaka, they have a very um, distinct breath call. And a whistle. So that's kind of important to the story to kind of let you know what's about to happen. Um, so anyway, the next day they went out fishing and they used the devil fish and they caught two halibut. They got home and it was dark and they started cooking the halibut when they heard a person whistle behind the house. <laughs> I wasn't whistling, but I was trying to do like some Twilight Zone shit. Did not sound right. <laughs> the wife said, We have longed for you, my dear son. Come in. Don't whistle around us. We have been wishing for you the last year, so do not be afraid. It is only your father and I. 
come in. The father said basically the same thing. And without either of them seeing the son come in the door, they suddenly saw him sitting across from them with his hands over his face. They asked him if he was their son. He replied by whistling. By midnight, he started to actually speak. And they asked him again, realizing he was a Kushtaka, if he was their son. He said yes, and he showed them that he had brought them more devil fish. The story goes on that the father and his Kushtaka son went fishing several times. The son told him to cover up with a blanket and not watch him, but the father would watch through a hole in the blanket as their son would dive into the water and hook halibut to the father's fishing line. That's not sketchy at all. I would <laughs> never question that. If I had a child and they were like, hey, cover your head, um, you're going to get a fish in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't question it either. I'd be like, shit. I don't fucking have shit. So go ahead. <laughs> Do whatever magic voodoo you're doing mm-hmm. and give me some fucking fish. Oh, I lost my please. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Eventually, they had so much halibut seals and other various things that they had more than enough provisions. After that, they saw him completely. His mouth was round. And this is a quote. Long hair had grown down over his back to his buttocks, end quote. And he ate nothing but raw food. After a while, they packed up to head back to Sitka, and their son talked to them like a human being and was always with them. But when they were on their way back in the canoe, he at the front, the mother in the middle, and the father at the back, the mother realized that she couldn't see him anymore. He had completely disappeared. When they returned to Sitka, They told everyone what had happened. The father said, my son helped us. Just as we got around the point, he disappeared out of the canoe. So his friends held a feast for him. That's the end of the story. So it seems pretty positive. Not a bad story. Yeah, Yeah. I don't think that is a bad interaction with the Kushtaka. I mean, I don't know what's worse. Or what, (laughs) what would you think? If your son drowned, would you be happy? That he was actually alive in a kushtaka, or would you be sad that he is now a kushtaka? Personally, I'd be excited. That's how I feel. <laughs> I feel like I'd be super happy that I he's mean, at he's, least there. He's still doing his thing, but he also can change into an otter now. And I still am not seeing the problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> Another famous story of the kushtaka surrounds Thomas Bay, which is also called the Bay of Death due to a massive landslide in, ni- or not 1950, sorry, 1750. And the Tlingit believed that it was caused by the Kushtaka. Uh, it completely buried a Tlingit village and over 500 Alaska native people died in the disaster. From that day on, it was known as the Bay of Death or Gainana in the <laughs> Tlingit language. I forgot to look up that one, so I don't know. Like if that one's pronounced right, but it's G E E Y and then Nana. It goes from super intimidating to like, yay, I love you, Nana. (laughs) I know. Gay Nana. (laughs) Okay. Also, in the 1900s, there were several sightings of devil creatures in the area, which I think they're referring to the Kushtaka. I'm not sure. So anyway, that story, or this story that I'm about to read, is called The Strangest Story Ever Told, and it was written by Harry D. Culp. There is a preface to the story, which I'll read to you first. It states, the writer of the story has been dead for several years now. At one time, back in the early 30s, he had the story written up and ready to send away. Something happened, and the manuscript was put into a box and forgotten. The story should be listed among the classics, for it occurred before anything was known about Kirsu Hamans, which I looked up and this phrase exists nowhere. So I kind of tried to like piece together what this means. And so I think it's referring to hirsutism, which is excessive body hair on parts of the body where hair is normally absent or minimal. And then the Hamans part 
I think is meant to be hominids, which are humans. So essentially excessively hairy humans. Which sounds like a super good band name. I agree, actually. <laughs> Excessive. Hey guys, we're the excessively hairy humans. <laughs> I'd listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, finishing this quote, they say, before anyone knew about these beings, anyone except for the natives, that is, and they have known all along, but no one listened until the 21st century, end quote. So I'm paraphrasing again for the story, and it goes on to talk about four gold prospectors. One gold prospector named Charlie went ahead of everyone else to Thomas Bay to find gold. And after being gone for a while, he comes back extremely shaken up and looking worse for wear. He goes on to say that he will tell them what happened, but after that, he's getting the fuck out of Alaska and he never wants to talk about it again. I don't blame him. (laughs) I don't know what happened, but I don't blame him. He starts telling them about being in Thomas Bay and looking for a crescent moon-shaped lake that they had been told about. And that one day he was looking for landmarks on a ridge and he looked down and he saw a big tree and he thought that'd be a good landmark. And then he turned around and this is what he said. So this is a quote. Right there, fellows, I got the scare of my life. I hope to God I never see or go through the likes of it again. Swarming up the ridge toward me from the lake were the most hideous creatures. I couldn't call them anything but devils, as they were neither men nor monkeys, yet looked like both. They were entirely sexless, their bodies covered with long, coarse hair, except where the scabs and running sores had replaced it. Each one seemed to be reaching out for me, striving to be the first to get me. The air was full of their cries, and the stench from their sores and bodies made me faint. I forgot my broken gun and tried to use on the first ones. And then I threw it at them and turned and ran. God, how I did run. I could feel their hot breath on my back. Their long claw-like fingers scraped my back. The smell from their steaming, stinking bodies made me sick. While the noises they made, yelling, screaming, and breathing, drove me mad. Reason left me. How I reached the canoe or how I hung on to that piece of quartz is a mystery to me end quote why are they covered in scratches and bruises and smell like rotting dead (laughs) things i don't know to me it doesn't sound like a kushtaka it sounds like a zombie (laughs) a hairy hairy zombie (laughs) a zombie monkey yeah it doesn't i don't know but i wasn't there so who am i to judge but (laughs) just doesn't really vibe with the other stories uh well, I mean, like the scratching, the claws or whatever. That's true. And the hair. Yeah. But I just don't understand the smell and the sores. I, mean, I guess they probably don't bathe anymore after they turn into kushtakas. So but they're in the water constantly. The worst smell I would imagine is like wet dog. <laughs> Which can be pretty bad sometimes. Uh, it's disgusting. <laughs> okay. So I have one last story about the Kushtaka. Uh, It's another popular story that comes from an account called The Land Otter's Captive, which it was recorded by John Swanton of the Bureau of Ethnology. And this is just, I'm just reading the whole story outward. Several persons once went out from Sitka together. When their canoe upset, and all were drowned except a man of the Kitsa D. So this is spelled K I with an arrow above it instead of a point. K S capital A apostrophe D and another I with an arrow above it. I Googled it, could not find anything on how to pronounce it. So my best guess is Kitsa D. And if it's not right, I'm sorry. Please let me know. Don't hate me. Uh, so anyways, he was the sole survivor. And a canoe came to this man. And he thought it contained his friends. But they were really land otters. And so this is a story that actually also on a side note. Makes me think that land otter refers to kushtaka. And not an actual otter. Yeah, so, I don't feel like I would 
mistake a little tiny otter for a normal sized person. Well, also, if you just think about it, this canoe is being manned by little tiny otters. It would be adorable. It would be adorable, (laughs) but unlikely. Anyway, they started southward with him and kept going farther and farther until they had passed clear around the Queen Charlotte Islands. At every place where they stopped, they took in a female land daughter. All this time, they kept a mat made out of the broad part of a piece of kelp over the man they had captured until at length they arrived at a place they called Rainy Village. At this place, the man met an aunt who had been drowned years before and had become the wife of two land otters. She was dressed in a groundhog robe. Then she said to him, your aunt's husbands will save you. You must come to see me this evening. When he came, his aunt said, I can't leave these people for I have learned to think a great deal of them. Afterward, his aunt's husband started back with him. They did not camp until midnight. Their canoe was a skate, and as soon as they came ashore, they would turn it over on top of him so that no matter how hard he tried to get out, he could not. In making the passage across to camp... Camp? 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 Making our way to camp. (laughs) To cape. (laughs) Oh, Manny. They worked very hard. And shortly after they landed, they heard the raven. They could go only a short distance for food. When they first started back, the woman had said to her husband, don't leave him where he can be captured again. Take him to a good place. So they left him close to Sitka. Then he walked around in the neighborhood of the town and made the people suffer so much every night that they could not sleep and determined to capture him. They fixed a rope in such a way as to ensnare him. But at first they were unsuccessful. Finally, however, they placed dog bones in the rope so that they would stick into his hands. Dog bones being the greatest enemies of the land otters. That's weird. Yeah, I read in a couple other places that for some reason the Kushtaka are afraid of dogs. Okay. Um, Late that night, the land otter man tore his hands So with these bones that he sat down and began to scream. And while he was doing this, they got the rope around him and captured him. When they got him home, he was at first very wild. But they restored his reason by cutting his head with dog bones. He was probably not so far gone as most victims. Then they learned what had happened to him. After this time, however, he would always eat his meat and fish raw. Once he was among the halibut fishers, they wanted very much to have him eat some cooked halibut. He was a good halibut fisher, probably having learned the art from the land otters, though he did not say so. For a long time, the man refused to take any, but at last consented and the food killed him. The end. Okay, so I'm confused about this story. Okay. So was he turned into a kushtaga? It seemed like he was... So what I got from it is it seemed like he was, but he was found like very early in changing into a Kushtaka. So they were able to turn him back, except for the fact that he couldn't eat cooked food. That's what it sounds like to me. That just seems weird. Also, how was he making them... What was he doing to drive the village nuts? I was literally going to tell you that. Like, (laughs) I want to know what he was doing at night that was keeping them up. Maybe he was whistling. Just going around the town. (laughs) I'm a kushtaka. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you should cut that because that just sounded like me blowing into it. (laughs) I heard the whistle. I'm leaving it. Oh, okay. That's pretty much it for the Kushtaka. Um, Now I'm just going to cover a few mysterious disappearances that happened in the Alaskan Triangle. And then after that, I got one more very different story. The first one I'm going to talk about is Thomas Anthony Nuzzi. Nuzzi was a nurse who traveled. Don't look at me like that. I was trying to not look at you right when I said it because I knew you're gonna make a face. Nuzzy. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna look this way. 
Okay, right in front of me. <laughs> Nuzzy was a nurse who traveled throughout the state and didn't have a permanent address. Instead, he stayed in motels during his assignments. He'd been staying in Anchorage, but was working in Bethel, which was a quick flight away. Nuzzy was reported missing on June 19th, 2001, after he didn't show up for work. Investigators discovered gas station surveillance footage of Nuzzy that was captured the night before he went missing. Nuzzy was in the station purchasing cigarettes and snacks accompanied by a woman. Later, housekeepers at the motel said they encountered a strange man and woman in Nuzzy's room. Nuzzy's bicycle was found at his nearby storage unit. His Jeep was found 12 miles outside of Anchorage. Nuzzy, the woman, or the other man were never found. Okay, the second one um, happened in 1950. A Douglas C-54 Skymaster left Anchorage bound for Minnesota with 44 people on board. Eight crew members, three engineers, 34 service members, and two civilians. The plane was expected to make regular radio contact as it traveled, but all communication stopped shortly after takeoff, and the plane never arrived in Minnesota. More than 75 U.S. and Canadian aircrafts participated in the search for the missing plane, but the aircraft and its passengers were never seen again. That's insane. That's a lot of people. <laughs> that is a lot of people. Mm. But they say 44 people mm-hmm. never seen again. The wreckage never seen. No communication. It's horrifying. And one of my biggest fears. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to go missing like that. I mean, I don't oh, want to no. go missing at all, but no. especially not like in a plane and then gone. Mm-hmm. The next one is Frank Manano, who was 69. He was reported missing from Ninana on August 17th, 2020. Ninana, located about 60 miles west of Fairbanks, is in the heart of the Alaska Triangle. His family told authorities that they believe he became lost in the woods, but reporting from NBC 11 in Fairbanks described Manano as a traditional educator and mentor on culture hunting I almost said substance, uh, subsistence living and respecting the land. Authorities believe Manano took shelter in a nearby cabin the first night he went missing, but after more than a year, there's still no sign of him. That's sad. That one's recent, 2020. Mm -hmm. This next one's pretty recent too. So Shanna Omen was visiting a friend in Fairbanks on June 3rd, 2019. Police were called six days later when Omen's roommate said she had never returned home. Her destination was Eagle River, but her cell phone last pinged a tower on June 4th. A police dog and helicopter were used to search for her, but she was never found. That's a bummer. Next, we have Leonard Lane, and this one breaks my heart. I feel like this one's the saddest. Well, I mean, they're all sad, but I don't know why. This one's just really <laughs> sad to me. He was a 73-year-old World War II veteran who was enjoying the 4th of July parade in Fairbanks in 1995, and then he vanished. He was noted to walk with a pronounced limp due to his war injuries. Police had no leads and no information of what may have happened to him though he was declared legally dead in 1997. The case remains unsolved. Wow. I wonder if, like, anyone saw him walk away or, like, he just was sitting there and then was gone. I don't know, but he's 73. Like, just let him live the rest of his life in peace, and he served our country and was already obviously injured. Like, (laughs) if, if... foul play happened to him or the kushtaka i mean you know if a kushtaka got him maybe they did it to turn him into a kushtaka so that he was not in pain anymore maybe and i don't know can live longer and turn into an otter (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know it's just really sad to me and now my last one um her name is jl tiara hamblin She's a 20-year-old mom who went out to dinner with her roommate on the night of October 11th, 2014. 
The women returned home, but Hamblin decided to go out again on her own. The next morning, her roommate found her bed unmade and her car still in the driveway. Her purse was found buried in the snow five months later. Hamblin hasn't been seen since that night. That one definitely sounds fishy. Yeah, that one sounds like it could be foul play by yeah. a human. Yeah, not a kushtaka. No. Okay. So that was just some disappearances of note. Um, now, my last story is kind of out of left wing from everything else. Uh, do you want to take a guess? I have absolutely no idea. My psychic powers has just totally disappeared at this time in our show. Okay. So in 1986, a Japanese plane was frying. Hopefully not. It was flying from Iceland. It was just so hot up there. (laughs) So freaking hot in Alaska. Uh, It was flying from Iceland to Anchorage. When it came across three UFOs, (laughs) unidentified flying otters. (laughs) Okay, so the three unified, unified, wow. Okay, I need to get my shit together. The three unidentified flying objects followed the airliner for approximately 400 miles through the Alaskan Triangle. One of the objects was said to be twice the size of an aircraft carrier. The crew reported seeing flashing lights following their plane, and air traffic controllers also witnessed something unidentifiable on their radar that was reported as close as five miles from the plane. The pilot claimed that at one point, the two smaller ships appeared directly in front of the plane at pretty close range. He described the two small ships and the mothership disappearing and reappearing quickly, moving fast and stopping suddenly, which is impossible for a normal airliner to do. Most definitely. And by the way, the two small ships and the mothership were in quotes. (laughs) That's what the pilot said that he saw. Uh. (laughs) I didn't just take a stab in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, in order to escape the UFOs, the pilot received permission from the ground crew to fly at a lower altitude while making several turns to elude the objects, but nothing he did could evade them. After about 32 minutes, the UFOs disappeared, although the pilot claimed that he thought the entire encounter lasted much longer than that. I'm sure it felt like it. You know, if something crazy has happened, it always feels like it takes so much longer. Oh yeah, your adrenaline's going. Yeah, time just slows down and it only took a minute. <laughs> so what do you think about the Kushtaka? So I think it's a thing. It could definitely be up there. I think that there are lots of animal type things that we don't know about. I don't necessarily think that it's as crazy, like anamorphic and <laughs> um, like changing people into them like maybe it just reproduces (laughs) like a normal animal maybe but it's possible there's a giant otter looking thing wandering around what my guess is and I actually read this theory uh in a couple things that I found it seems to me like the kushtaka are kind of the Tlingit's way of like I don't want to say explaining death but the Tlingit believed uh, that they had to have kind of like last rites for someone who's dead so that means that they really like they had to have the body to do that and um, you know if someone drowned or they got washed out to sea and they had no body to give them the rights, then it seems like they would say, Hey, they were trained or they were changed into a kushtaka. They're out there, they're still alive. And I don't know, I don't want to say it's a way of making them not feel bad, you know, <laughs> but 
like just a way to give them peace about somebody's death that they can't do their you know rituals and stuff on and I read that a couple places so to me that's kind of what it sounds like I mean maybe there is you know uh otter man I don't know (laughs) but I mean they were called their other nickname is Alaska's other Bigfoot so maybe I mean if you believe in Bigfoot you yeah. could believe in the Kushtaka. Yeah. That's possible. I mean, I don't know. I could see like it being used to make them be a little relieved when they wouldn't have a, a body around to do their rites and all that. Yeah. But I still don't believe the, that it can change. I mean, I want to believe because I loved those books. i just don't think that happens well how about you guys what do you guys think what do you think about the kushtaka what do you think about the alaskan triangle itself do you think that kushtaka are real and we've got a you know arctic fucking bermuda triangle up there let us know you can reach us at This Is Legend Pod on Facebook and Instagram. Visit our website at thisislegendpod.com and drop us a line at thisislegendpod at gmail.com. Alrighty then, keep it spooky, classy, and sassy. But most of all, keep it legendary. Toodaloo. Bye bye.